Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. Joseph accepts Jesus as his son. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Here ends the reading. I want to start with a uh, question. I wonder how prepared you are feeling for Christmas Day How prepared are you feeling? I wonder if you're sitting here this morning thinking, I really hope Tim is quick because I've got so much to do today. Um, I'd frankly rather be at home getting all the Christmas stuff ready. Well, I just thought I'd add to your anxiety this morning. And I, uh, I was looking online this week and I found a list called 100 Things to Do Before Christmas. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to read them all out. Um, But I thought I'd just highlight a few of them, which uh, maybe you've remembered or maybe you've forgotten to do, to think about how prepared we are for the perfect Christmas. So, decorate the kitchen and the family room and the bedrooms. If buying items online, make sure you order early to ensure delivery. You're probably a bit late now, but maybe for Christmas next year. Donate toys to a charity and the needy. Don't forget to book your dog into the groomer for a pre-Christmas clean-up. I think, I think we've done, done well down the front, that's good. Uh, make sure you and the family have the right attire for Christmas concerts, parties and work gatherings. Go to Christmas craft shows to support local charities. Play Christmas music. Bing Crosby is a must. Go ice skating. Bake and decorate your gingerbread house. Create a Christmas card display. Buy your holiday meal ingredients. Make sure you have enough toilet paper. You don't want to run out on Christmas Day. Uh, Keep one spare gift wrapped under the tree for surprise guests. I suppose you could wrap the toilet paper and that could be the the surprise. Uh, Polish your silverware. Set aside time to enjoy your family. Deliver gifts to friends and neighbours. And then on Christmas Eve, take a photo of the children in front of the Christmas tree. Leave cookies out for Father Christmas. And don't forget on Christmas Day to call family and wish them happy holidays. So I don't know how how that leaves you feeling this morning, how prepared you are for Christmas Day. But I'm glad that you are here as we think about actually how we prepare ourselves for Christmas Day. Why we celebrate it in the first place 
and what we're going to be thinking and feeling as we gather here, I pray, tomorrow morning at the same time to give thanks to God that he sent his son into the world. So I want to start by thinking about why do we need Christmas? What is it about it that makes it so special? Well, I think the passage we've just read, and if you've closed your Bibles, um, please open them up again to page 965 as we look at Matthew chapter 1. I think it's because this passage speaks um, in two particular ways about why we need Christmas. And the first one is it speaks into the messiness of life. It speaks into the messiness of life. Um, Apologies, I haven't got these on the screen, but this is verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So just let me explain what's going on there. Mary and Joseph were pledged to be married to one another. They were Essentially, they were engaged. But an engagement 2,000 years ago in Israel was a lot different than it is today here in England. You see, they couldn't just break it off if they decided they didn't want to go ahead with the marriage. There were certain legal obligations once you were pledged to be married to someone else. And it's in that context that Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant. And he knows that the child isn't his. Now we read in Luke's Gospel how Mary had been away visiting her her cousin. And she comes back and and Joseph, I assume, can only see from the look of her perhaps... Her, her, her face looks a bit different, a bit rounder. Perhaps there's a, there's a slight different kind of glow or fullness to her. And perhaps even as he gave her a hug, he feels that there's a bit of a bump pushing back against him. He knows that there's something different. He knows that Mary is pregnant. And, and Matthew doesn't tell us anymore the conversation they had, whether she tells him about, about the angel coming to her and, and saying that she will give birth to the Son of God. And we don't know how Joseph felt at that very time. But we are left to believe that he didn't believe Mary if she says that what has happened. And I think it's interesting that the Christmas story starts with mess. It starts with relational conflict. I don't know if you've seen any of those um, Christmas channels that seem to appear this time of year and they're showing sort of these non-stop Christmas films that seem to be filmed for about £500 or something. Uh, Some people love them. Apologies to you if you're one of those people who loves these cheesy Christmas movies. Um, But I think if you were going to one of those producers of those films, this wouldn't be the kind of film that you would pitch to them, would it? So so just imagine this, producer. There's this young couple, they're engaged, and uh, and one of them finds out that the other one is pregnant, except um, it's not his child and, well, they leave each other and they think they're going to divorce. And that's the start. That would make a terrible Christmas movie, surely. I mean, where's the, the cheer and, and the happiness? But isn't it interesting that the Christmas story starts with that kind of mess? With that kind of relational breakdown? And I think it challenges us this Christmas to think, what, how does God deal with mess in our life? Particularly at Christmas. You see, we we all inhabit messy lives. Maybe that's troubles in our relationships or maybe we we view the consequences of those in our families and friends. But do you see that mess isn't something to be swept under the Christmas tree? 
We'll deal with it after Christmas. No, Christmas is all about mess, and we see that here in Matthew's Gospel. I think it's really important to remember because a lot of relationships suffer a lot of stress at this time of year, maybe because of things that have happened in the past or things that you're going through at the moment. But our confidence comes from actually the Christmas story speaks into mess. Not only does it speak into the messiness of life, but also it deals with the consequences of that mess. I'm going to unpack that a bit more now. Christmas deals with the consequences of that mess. Look with me at verse 19. It says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, it says there that Joseph was faithful to the law. The law that is being talked about is the Old Testament, talking about the commands, particularly the commands in the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book in the Old Testament. And it's saying that there are serious consequences for unfaithfulness, for adultery. And Joseph isn't a free agent in terms of how he should act. He is engaged to Mary, and if it's true that she has committed adultery, then there are certain laws that as a faithful to the law person, he has to obey. Those laws basically mean that he is not allowed to marry her now, so so the divorce that he's talking about here is inevitable. But in some of the cases, adultery actually leads to, to capital punishment. It sounds almost shocking to our, to our modern ears. But so seriously did the Old Testament and the Bible deal with adultery. And that's because of the seriousness of marriage. And what marriage is a picture of. You see, marriage isn't just about getting all our our happiness and fulfilment. Anyone who's been married for longer than five minutes will know that that's not true. Actually, marriage is, is much more profound than that. Marriage is a picture. The Bible tells us that marriage is a picture of God's relationship with his people. A picture of Jesus Christ and the church. That's what marriage is. It is a picture And that is why the Bible addresses adultery as such a serious problem. Because it's showing that there's a break in that relationship. That one party is is looking for something else to to get fulfilment that should be found in that relationship alone. There is an exclusivity and adultery breaks that exclusivity. And so it is a broken picture of how God relates to his people. You see, God takes his relationship with his people deadly serious. And because marriage is a picture of that relationship, well, to to break that picture is, is horrible. But the sad truth is that even though the pictures are often broken, that the actual relationship they point to is broken too. Because all of us have been unfaithful to God. I wonder if that's shocking news for you this morning. But that's what the Bible calls idolatry. And it is basically spiritual adultery. That although that we were made for a loving, faithful relationship with God, we have turned to other things and saying, actually, God, I'm not sure you give me all the things that I want. I'm going to look to other things, other gods, other lovers. Whether that's money or power or success or or my own sense of who I should be and who I want to be. 
I'm not listening to you on this. I'm going elsewhere for what I want. And the Lord demands, because that is such a serious thing to do, the Lord demands that justice should be done. Which is why Joseph is, is being obedient to what he knows. But you see, that's not the only thing going on, because it also shows us that Joseph is showing compassion. That although Joseph wants to obey the law and he knows that he can't now marry Mary because of what he suspects about her, he's also showing compassion. It says here that he wants to divorce her quietly. He doesn't want to make a big show of it and, and, and show her up publicly. It'd be so tempting to, to do that. he feels that he has been treated wrongly and he's going to let everyone know just about how he's been treated. But he wants to show compassion. He wants to do it in a way that, that shows love. So do you see that there's a tension here? That although there's, he suspects there's been this unfaithfulness that deserves judgment, at the same time he wants to show grace. And we apply that to our lives, we know that we fail to, to love and live for God, and that deserves judgment, because it's such a serious crime. But at the same time, God wants to show us compassion. There's this tension here, and how is it going to be wrought out? I wonder, how does that make us feel as we prepare for Christmas? Well, I really hope this morning is that it gives us some desire to find out how this tension can be sorted. How the, we understand that judgment must happen, but at the same time, we, we long for this grace. We long for God's compassion. How is it going to be fixed? Well, it's going to be fixed through God's intervention, through the miraculous, through miracles. So what about the miracles? I want to point us to two. And the first one is maybe more obvious than the other. So the first miracle we see is that of, of the virgin birth. Or before we get to the virgin birth, but leading up to the virgin birth. And that happens in verse 20. But after he, this is Joseph, had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now Joseph thought he had it all figured out. He went to bed that night knowing what he had to do. He suspected that Mary had been unfaithful. He thought he'd figured it all out. That was until God spoke to him directly. That Mary was telling the truth, that the child she bore was from God. You see, it's vitally important that, that we maintain, as we've just said in our creed, the fact that Jesus was born to a virgin. Now, in the past, some have tried to do away with this, saying that this is something just too embarrassing. You know, science doesn't work like that. And that's absolutely true. Science doesn't work like that. That is why this is a miracle. This is something God is doing. We don't need to be embarrassed about it. It shows God's power. But also it's showing us something else. We were looking at last time when we were reading in, in, in Matthew chapter 1, we've got this great big lineage. And, and Phil was pointing out to us just some of the people who appear in this lineage. It's, it's, it's a strange collection of names from the Old Testament. 
And he was saying that there were some rather shady characters in there. There were some shady women. But at the same time, there were some very questionable men in there as well. I mean, for example, you've got King David. Someone who in one sense was, was, a, was a role model in many aspects. God said he was a man after his own heart. But at the same time, we also know that, that he was guilty of having, um, having an adulterous relationship with the, the wife of the commander of his army and having the commander killed. So there was great potential in King David, but there was also this thing about him that was really wrong, really broken. So how does that apply to the next generation? Well, you've got Solomon, again, a, a wonderful king in many respects, who was very wise, but also made some terrible decisions. He amassed for himself many, many women, many concubines, and he went after other gods. See, both of them, there was great potential, but there was this brokenness in them, and that, that kept on showing itself in the next generation, and the next generation, and the next generation. You see, what God is doing here in, in the virgin birth of the Son of God is starting something new. He is starting a new line. He's saying, no, there isn't going to be that, that taint from the previous generation, that, that inherited brokenness. I'm starting something new. And so the Bible talks about being in one of two people. Either you are in Adam, you inherit that, that kind of that corrupted nature, that taint, or you are in Christ. That's not a biological line, that's a spiritual line of being in Christ avoiding that taint of the previous generation. Um, Claire and I, a couple of years ago, we were making these uh, peppermint creams, you know, icing sugar and a bit of mintle and stuff like that, to give away as presents. And um, we were using a bowl that, that we had forgotten about that previously we had um, used for, uh, you know when you get a cold and you're all congested and you used, um, I think it's called Tiger Balm. It's a bit like Vicks. There are other brands available. Um, but it's this really strong menthol stuff that kind of oh, clears you out. And anyway, we'd used it at this and we'd forgotten about it. Uh, until we started tasting, I thought I'd have a try with these peppermint creams. That started tasting them and there was this horrible, strange, menthol-y taste. Of, oh, these are a bit different. What did you put in these, darling? And we'd forgotten that it was this bowl that we had used. Even though we'd cleaned it out loads, it still had that taint. You couldn't get rid of it. And actually what we need to do is just to bring in a whole new bowl, get rid of that one, put that to one side, and use the new bowl that didn't have any of that taint. And that's so what, what is God is doing here. He's doing something new, something where there isn't that, that, that bad taste from before. He is starting something new. That is one reason, and I think a really important one, why we must hold on to this idea of the fact that Jesus was born to a virgin, because it shows that God is doing a new thing. That is the first miracle. But the second miracle, I dare to say, is even more amazing. And we've been singing about it today. And that is the fact of the miracle of Jesus' names given to us in this passage. One of the names he's given, as we've seen, is Emmanuel. So if you look down at verses 22 and 23, this is the angel speaking to Joseph. He says, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because, oh sorry, I got the wrong bit, 22, 23. Rewind. 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now what we've read there is is a prophecy written hundreds of years before Jesus was born about the fact that, that God will come and be amongst his people. That's what that name means. It tells us here in the brackets, Emmanuel, God with us. But if I was one of these Old Testament believers, I'd be scratching my head, thinking, wait a minute, how can God be with us? You see, I understand that, that our relationship with you is, is, is broken. That because of the things we've done, because of our, our idolatry, our spiritual adultery, our unfaithfulness, that there's a break in the relationship, you can't be with us anymore. We haven't lived up to our end of the bargain. And we know that the law, the law that that fills our Bible, says that justice must be done. That God can't come to be with his people. You see, there's a problem with this name, Emmanuel, because it doesn't, in one sense, it doesn't work. How can God be with us? You see, without a saviour, there can be no God with us. It's like having um, two sides of the same magnet and you're trying to push them together but but they can't go. They they physically don't belong together. You've got God and his holiness and his goodness and his faithfulness and us in our brokenness and our unfaithfulness and they just don't go together. They repel one another and if we were to get close enough to God in that state then we would just be just destroyed. It's a fearful thing to to approach God in all our brokenness because we know that we don't match up to who he is. God's holiness and our taint. But you see, that's not the only miracle. That's not the only miraculous name that's given to us in this passage. Now we can look at verse 21. And we see Jesus the Saviour. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. As Stephen was telling us earlier on, Jesus, the name means God saves. Or literally, the Lord or Yahweh, which is God's personal name, God is salvation. That's what Jesus means. It is not a swear word. It means God saves. And this is how God can be with us. This is the key to unlocking how Emmanuel can happen. How God can be with us. Because Jesus saves. It is going to be him who who deals with that judgment, that tension of how we can see God's grace and how God can still be just then God's going to deal with it himself. A child born to rescue an unfaithful humanity from the consequences of that unfaithfulness. You see, as we prepare for Christmas, along with all the things that we're going to be thinking about for tomorrow, please don't miss this that we desperately need a saviour to fix our broken relationship with God so that God can be with us 
But that is who Jesus is. He is our saviour. So I wonder if you're, you're listening to all of this and thinking, well, this, this sounds, perhaps this is all new to you. I'm wondering, how do I fit in with this? What is the response I'm to make this Christmas? Well, look at verse 24 as we think about the need to respond. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Do you see how crazy it would have been if Joseph had just got up that morning and said, well, I remember what I was going to do last night. I was going to go and give this this bill of divorce to, to Mary so we were separated and I'll just get on with that. Do you see how crazy that would have been if he, if he didn't let what he had heard change his actions? It would have been absolutely mad. You see, what Joseph heard that night required action. God had spoken to him and he needed to do something about it. So he did. He was obedient. That lovely little bit at the end of verse 24 really struck me this week. It says, he took Mary home as his wife. What a contrast to, to, to what was happening the night before where there was all this suspicion and the, the, the oncoming possibility of divorce, where the, the divorce was going to happen. But then because of God breaking into their situation, in the morning he takes Mary into his home. What a beautiful picture of the gospel and how God deals with us. You see, God has has dealt with our spiritual adultery that we're all guilty of so that he can take us home to be his wife. That's the intimacy he wants us to experience. You see, we're foolish in thinking that that anything else apart from God fulfills the desires that, that all of us have that desire for intimacy or or connection or or friendship, all of those things are found most fully in a relationship with the living God. So we have to respond to what we've heard. We can't just hear this and think, well, I know what my Christmas was going to be about and I'm just going to carry on with that. If this is new to us and we hear this today, please don't make that mistake. Look at what Joseph was doing. He heard this message from God And he did something about it. So we should do something too. We need to respond to what we have heard. And lastly, I just want to finish with with, with how Matthew finishes this chapter. And that is helping us to think, well, well, one of the ways we respond when we receive this is to think about how then we we serve God and how God calls us to, to serve him. Verse 25 says this, But he, this is Joseph, did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. You see, God had things for Joseph to do as part of his plan to to spread this good news and and part of that involved taking Mary into his home. He was going to marry her and giving the child the name Jesus. Jesus. So in one sense, he would have a a fatherly responsibility for this child. Tradition would dictate that on the eighth day that the boy would be circumcised and the the, the father would name the child. 
And what a responsibility, what what a joy that Joseph has been given this honour of naming Jesus. Because as the New Testament says, Jesus is the one from whom every name comes. And yet this carpenter, from somewhere up in the north of Israel, is asked to name the Son of God. What an awesome honour and privilege. But however we may serve God in our lives, whether it's serving tea and coffee, whether it's, it's leading uh, groups or cleaning the church or, or just reaching out to a neighbour to share something of this story with them about the God who speaks into the mess of human existence. He doesn't just speak about it, but he rescues us. What a joy that is to be used by the living God this Christmas. I wonder, if you, are you prepared for Christmas morning, for Christmas day. Because God speaks into the mess of our lives. He rescues us with his miraculous power. And we need to respond. Perhaps one way you can respond if you're new to to, to all of this thinking is by coming on one of our Alpha courses. We're going to be running some in the new year. Come and speak to me or Phil afterwards or fill out one of these forms at the back of church. Write a name and email address or and pop it in one of the boxes and uh, we can ask some questions and think a bit more about this God who speaks into the mess of our lives this Christmas. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Christmas. Thank you for this time to prepare. Thank you that we don't have to hide the mess of our lives from you but that you see them anyway. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to prepare for Christmas, to see your miracles on display in the virgin birth and in the fact that you can be with us because Jesus means God saves. Help us to respond to that today. Help us to trust And have great joy tomorrow as we gather together on Christmas Day. Amen.